0: You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community, and we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, K-U-O-W. It only takes a minute. Donate at kuow.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Light rail commuters, you made it. The one line has been restored to its previous schedule. Three weeks of maintenance disruptions are over for now. Seattle Times transportation reporter Mike Lindblom is here to talk about how it all went down and what's coming up next for light rail riders. But first, let's get you caught up. The Seattle Archdiocese announced a plan to consolidate churches following a year of research and outreach. Seattle ranks high as a secular city. Attendance has shifted. This plan is a way for the church to reallocate and consolidate resources. The Seattle Times reports the plan will consolidate 136 Catholic parishes throughout western Washington into 60 parish families. Lawmakers in Olympia are getting busy during their short session. This week marks the halfway point included in the legislation still being considered enhanced legal penalties for people who harass or threaten election workers left behind, restored voting rights for prisoners and permanent standard time for Washington. And exciting news for soccer fans. Seattle will be hosting six World Cup games in 2026. Lumen Field will host four group play matches and two tournament matches. But here's the big headline. The U.S. men's national team will take the pitch at Lumen Field June 19th. Of course, an international event comes with all sorts of celebrations. FIFA says Seattle will have a fan fest that will run daily through the 25-day World Cup tournament the one line is back to its normal schedule today for three weeks sound transit trains ran on a delay to replace a set of damaged tracks downtown the agency said the trains would arrive every 26 minutes between the stadium station and the university of washington during the week on weekends that stretch of line was closed Andres Reyna commutes between Capitol Hill and the University of Washington. He said the slower schedule was pretty inconvenient.
1: I have to probably
0: add an additional maybe 30 minutes just to make sure I make it on time. If I miss one train, I have to wait an additional 30 minutes just for the next one. For riders like Andres, the disruption was a pain, but not too far off what was expected. But other riders reported long delays, up to 40 minutes between trains. Let me put it this way. That was the longest commute I've ever had. That's KUW's Paige Browning. She commutes to our studio in the U District from Columbia City. Last Monday, she was caught in a light rail nightmare. A problem with ventilation fans in the transit tunnel interrupted the morning commute, complicating an already confusing situation. It's normally already a longer commute, 45 minutes about, via light rail. And that day it took an hour and a half because I had to take three different trains and a bus. They kept having us offload and reload for different stretches. And you could just see people sort of smirking each time we'd have to get on a new leg, making phone calls like I'm still commuting. It's been a long three weeks. The maintenance and the disruptions are wrapped for now, but the light rail needs more work in the near future, especially as Sound Transit prepares to open new extensions to Redmond, Bellevue, and Linwood. Seattle Times transportation reporter Mike Lindblom is here with a post-maintenance debrief and a look at future changes. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming back.
1: Thank you, Patricia. Good to be here.
0: All right, we're taping this episode on a Friday. Sound Transit is pulling the rest of this maintenance together over the weekend, as a commuter, I'm going to give Sound Transit a C plus on this time of disruption. If I'm honest, my heart was broken more than once on the platform over this period, but I do understand the situation.
1: I would say that this is a necessary mess that was worse than it could have been because Sound Transit took more time than they expected to load and unload the trains. The target time to load and unload a train is 20 seconds. When I went down there that first week, they were taking 70 to 80 seconds to load and unload trains at Westlake because human beings, especially in, during Confucian, are just not that efficient getting on and off the trains. And although the downtown stations are fairly spacious, you still have to shimmy around people and folks need to figure it out. And then you have to synchronize the trains at either side of downtown. So you get some slowing there. One thing they've done well in this is put helpers. And friendly people at the stations to answer questions. Friday morning, David Wright, the safety director for the whole agency, was out there. I don't know that everybody sends their, their top leadership out there just to hang out with passengers on a Friday morning. So Sound Transit has done a lot of that. And I've been there enough times to to see if they do try to help people make the best of, of this bad situation.
0: You know... Mike, I really want to know what went wrong, because what you're talking about, you know, seconds add up to minutes in this situation, which added up to a lot of confusion and packed trains. So let's debrief a little bit about how this went down.
1: So one thing that went wrong was that Sound Transit's operations staff kind of knew all along that they wouldn't make the 26 minutes during rush hour. But they didn't want to publish a 30 or 35 minute schedule because if they planned for that, you would have lousier train service all day long. So they published 26 minutes, and then people wound up being surprised. And I don't really know if there are things they could have done to to get it under 26 or under 30 minutes. But that was one reason there was a, a communication breakdown. Another thing that happened was that they had just kind of the usual run of, of small problems. There have been a few crashes that blocked the trains. There was a gate malfunction next to Stadium Station that disrupted service during one of the afternoons. And, you know, in, in every, any given week or two, there are, are small mechanical breakdowns. But those add up and they're a lot harder to deal with when you have just a single track through downtown.
0: You know, I have so many thoughts about what you just said, Mike, not the least of which is whether or not Sound Transit made the right call by kind of intentionally padding the numbers about what they were going to be running their trains at. Because honestly, as a commuter, if Sound Transit had said to me, hey, Murphy, honestly, all bets are off for the next three weeks, we are sorry, but we have to do this maintenance at least I would have felt like I didn't get deceived because I'm not kidding. I stood on that light rail platform, waiting for trains, staring at trains, cheek to jowl in trains. It was bad. And I finally gave up.
1: Well, a lot of people did. And if you, if you, if you traveled on Friday morning, like I did, you waited at Soto station three minutes for a train to stadium station, got off at stadium another 19 minutes of delay For the trains that went all the way through downtown i wound up taking about an hour from west seattle to belltown if i had driven it'd be 20 minutes on a bus it might be 35. the train was only half full which tells you that people did give up but but there's also still a pretty serious clientele i mean you could look at this as train half full or train half empty a lot of people (laughs) were either really loyal to the one line or dependent on it not everybody can go downtown and park for 35 dollars a day not everybody can or even wants to drive because there's road rage and congestion so it's almost an accomplishment to fill half the trains when the service is degraded this badly
0: do we know about what ridership was during this time period mike
1: They do not have data. Normally, there's a six to eight week lag time. And then it's reported to the National Transit Database and on Sound Transit's own website. Ridership is really important here. And I want to go off track for a minute to talk about that. You hear a lot of ideologically driven debate about light rail is really booming or light rail is a boondoggle, nobody rides it. Those perspectives at the extremes are both, both false. Light rail last year averaged about 80,000 passengers a day. They gradually improved since the pandemic. Uh, They should be getting about 110,000 or or more. If downtown were really doing well, if they weren't having an office slump, if downtown retail were stronger, there should be more based on the original predictions. But light rail, unlike buses and sounder trains, light rail is recovering and serving a necessary purpose. You can't just get rid of the one line and expect everything to to be okay. It's baked into the way we get around.
0: All right. Well, taking a step back here, Sound Transit as an agency is at a pretty critical juncture. They're looking for a new permanent CEO. There are two expansions of light rail opening up this year. What does this situation tell us about the agency's future?
1: The most important thing it tells us is that it's really hazardous to them, to inconvenience riders. Suffice it to say, we're spending far more than any other region to develop and operate light rail. These are huge mega projects. And we're actually the fourth largest light rail agency in the country, according to Sound Transit's planning director. You can't leave riders on the table. And and nobody really knows how much better the the patronage would be if Sound Transit didn't have long outages like this one or the two that they had last summer. The philosophy at Sound Transit is to do a a lot of this work now, have everything taken care of by the time the Linwood line opens late this year, and then the Bellevue line is connected to Seattle next year.
0: We did hear from a lot of listeners in making this episode that they wish they were dealing with light rail disruptions, Mike, but it isn't an option for them because the system we're talking about is still fairly small. It's the one line, but there are light rail expansions coming soonish. So remind us what's in store and when those might open.
1: Right. So the next thing to happen is an eight station starter line on the east side. There's no date. Former CEO Tim said March 24 was a target, but that's going to slide. They are uh, starting full speed practice runs. They have to spend several weeks or a few months Practicing. That's the next thing. And then this fall, Linwood City Center Station. It's a four station extension, eight miles. It was approved way back in 2008, finally showing up. And that will hopefully save people time if they don't have to trade to a bus at Northgate. There is one problem with that. The predictions right now are that the trains will be so full that people getting on in the morning at Northgate, Roosevelt, U District might have trouble fitting in. So Sound Transit is talking about having buses go parallel either along I-5 or stop at each of these stations until they get the Bellevue to Seattle line open next year.
0: Oh my gosh, Mike. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just envisioning my future when that Linwood light rail opens and Northgate becomes a crush instead of the end of the line, which is is wild. Mike Lindblom, Seattle Times transportation reporter. Really appreciate this check-in with you. Thanks so much.
1: All right. Thank you, Patricia. Happy travels.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. and extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain, who's glad her morning commute is back to normal. Thanks to John O'Brien for production help. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain-Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle
1: in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.